In, uh, in 2008, there was a, an atheist advertising campaign in London. I'm going to get my head out of the way so that you can see it properly. And they used these slogans on the side of buses saying, there's probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy your life. And I think that tells us quite a lot about how we can be tempted to think about God, how we can be tempted to come to the Bible. And I think it tells us a lot about how people outside uh, are probably thinking about, how, about God as well. That God is somebody to be afraid of, to be fearful of, who is going to make us worry and is going to stop us from enjoying our life. And Genesis chapter 2 is going to flip that on its head as we look at it. It's going to completely turn that upside down and tell us just all the good things that God has done for us. Thanks, Denise. And so as we, as we think about Genesis chapter 2, as we come to think about Genesis chapter 2, let's just spend a moment in prayer that God will teach us from his word how it is that we don't need to be afraid, we don't need to worry, and we can enjoy our life with him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you just again for this opportunity to come before you and to think about your word. And Father, we just pray that we wouldn't have the attitude of those uh, atheists from London in 2008, but that we would come to your word expecting to hear from you, expecting to understand something about how generous you are, about the good things that you've given us, about the ways in which you, you help us to enjoy our life and to grow and be fruitful in our lives and to prosper, Lord. Amen. So last week, as we looked at Genesis chapter one, we saw God making everything, making the universe, as that video that we watched just before showed us. And we saw that we are made in the image of God. And we saw some of what being made in the image of God means for us. That it means we have a relationship with God, and it means that God gives us responsibility to do some things, to have authority under him, that we sit under him. And he commands then for us to do things in creation and to have authority under him in creation. So now in Genesis 2, you might read Genesis 2 and think, oh, that's just the same. It's just more of creation. But instead, we're going to look at what that relationship with God looks like. And instead of taking that full six, seven units of time, days, that we looked at last week. We're going to zoom in onto one specific day of creation. And where here it says earth in verse 4 of the heavens and the earth. Last week we looked and that, made, that meant everything. And then we see in verse 5 the bush of the field and the land. And so we're zooming in from everything in creation down to looking at something a little bit more local. And so we, we're zooming in. But also, notice in verse 5, last week as we looked in Genesis chapter 1, everything talked about God. 
Now, that's the kind of title that you could give. When I go to work tomorrow morning, I have a job title. It doesn't tell you anything about me. It doesn't name me. It doesn't say who I am. But it's a job title. Somebody else in the company could have that job title as well. You know, we could think maybe about president. If we, if we say the word president, we don't know who we're talking about. It could be any, anybody who is a president. But if we say President Michael D. Higgins, or we say President Joe Biden, we know who we're talking about. Verse 5, the Lord God. All of a sudden, we see now that this is written when the countries around the Jews who are, who are reading it first, Israel who are reading it first, believe in lots of different gods. Last week, we saw one God doing all the creating. And now, we see that title of God being given a name, the Lord God. Lord in capitals there, Yahweh, focusing in. We know exactly who this is talking about. And so as we focus in, we see here that humans owe their existence to God. We saw some of that at the end of day six of creation last week. But here again, we see God creating the humans, God creating first the man, Adam. And so he's doing this creating. He's creating things again, adding order, as we saw last week. And that's indicated in, in verse 4 as well. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Everything, heavens and earth, being created. And that phrase, these are the generations, even adding structure to Genesis. We'll see it again in chapter 5, and then again in chapter 6. It just starts to add some structure to the, chap to the chapters and the story of Genesis. And in this order, God has created land. And there's no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And so what does the Lord God do? As we saw last week, part of what he's creating the humans to do here is to look after the earth, to tend the earth, to tend the creation. And so the Lord God makes the man to do that, to work the ground. How does he do it? He takes dust and forms the man from dust like a potter does with clay, turning it into something, turning it into something. And the purpose of creating this man is that in God's order, the man, the, the rest of creation needs this man to work the ground. So God is give, giving it the ruler under his authority that it needs to work it. And God breathes life into the nostrils of the man. And that put me in mind, as I was reading it, of us as Christians. This man, when he's just been formed out of the clay, he's actually dead, isn't he? As Jason read just before, we were dead in our sin. We might have been walking around, we might have been breathing, but we were dead in our sin. The man 
formed out of clay, is effectively dead until God breathes on him. We, walking around, dead in our sin, dead spiritually. And how are we made alive? Alive in Jesus, alive in Christ. Jesus himself says in John chapter 20, verse 22, that he breathes the Holy Spirit into his disciples. And so it just put me in mind of that picture, that when we become Christians, when we come to follow Jesus, when we accept that generous gift of him dying on the cross, bearing our sin, that we become alive. And just as God breathes life into this creation, he breathes life into us through the Holy Spirit. And so this man that God forms out of the clay that he breathes life into then gets to flourish in God's presence. Have you ever been anywhere that you consider paradise? You know, paradise is different for all of us and our idea of what paradise is is different for all of us. Now, I, I can't think of anywhere better than somewhere in the Scottish islands maybe with some beaches and some hills rising up out of the sea. But maybe you'd prefer to be on a, on a tropical beach where the likelihood of it chucking down with rain and being really windy is a lot less. Have you ever been anywhere that you think of as paradise? Because that place would pale in comparison to Eden, this garden that God has created to put this man that he has created into. Eden in Hebrew means delight. And that's exactly what the man does as he lives there. He delights in this creation that God has put him into, this garden where he's put the man to work. We see with the description of those rivers that it is grounded. It's a place. It was a real place. And it was a real place where God was present with the man. We see as well that it's rich in resources. Gold, bedillium, onyx stone. And those are there to symbolize this presence of God. Because those are precious metals and precious stones and gems that are later used in the tabernacle and the temple that symbolizes God's presence with his people. As Jason was reading Psalm 92, it talked about the cedars of Lebanon growing up again, kind of that same kind of thing, the materials helping us to understand God's presence with us. This isn't, to me, this doesn't talk about a God who is like that one that we saw on the slide. No God, go and enjoy yourself. There's probably no God, now go and enjoy yourselves. This is God generously creating this amazing place for his man, this man that he has created to live in and to flourish in, to work the land, to help it to, to grow and flourish. Not one who we need to stop worrying about and go off and enjoy our lives. And as we read through uh, verses 8 to 14, you can see in uh, verse nine that two of the trees 
that are available, that are pleasant to sight and good for food. Two of these trees are picked out. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they again symbolize God's presence. The tree of life, God gives life. And then there's this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And we see later on that God commands the man not to eat from that tree. Otherwise, the gift of the other tree, life, will be taken away from him. He will surely die in the day, in the period of time in which he eats from that tree. And so the man can either remain in God's presence and grow and flourish, or he can take a shortcut and eat from the tree that he's been commanded not to eat from. And risk his life and go against the generous God who has created him and put him in this place to grow and to delight. Again, for us who are Christians, we've received the ultimate generous gift from God. This paradise that the man is placed into is incredible. But God gave his son for us. He needed to do that because of what we'll read about next week in Genesis chapter 3. Because that one command was broken. But then because Jesus came, because of this incredible, generous gift, we are called into a relationship. We can have this relationship that this man has in this place with God. Do we want it? Have we reached out to take that gift and accept it? And gone into that relationship with God, just as this man had in his presence in the garden. And so God takes the man in verse 15 and puts him in the garden of Eden. What for? To work it and to keep it. To work it, to tend it and to keep it. Now, I don't know about you, but my ambition is to be able to retire one day, just to stop working, to get up in the morning and to not have somebody saying, this is what you need to do today. Just to be able to choose what I am going to do because all my work is done. But how does that ambition to be effectively lazy set itself against God's plan here where he commands the man, he creates the man to do productive work. He puts the man into paradise to do productive work, to tend the garden, to work it and to keep it. The same words that are used here, work and keep, they're reflected later on in the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 3. And they say, to minister, to serve, to guard. This is what God is asking the man to do, 
to minister the creation, the garden, to serve it, to guard it, not to exploit it, not to damage it, not to destroy it, but to care for it, to minister, to serve, and to guard it. Part of what he does here, as God says that he shouldn't be alone and needs a helper, is that he names everything, names all the animals that God brings. And so under God's authority, as God created everything that we saw last week, God named the stars. He named the sun and the moon, the sea and the sky. And here, reflecting the fact that the man is made in God's own image, he gets to do, carry out some of that authority that God had over the rest of creation last time. He names the animals and he works and keeps and ministers and serves and guards the garden. And then God commands in verse 15. Those atheists, that atheist campaign, there's probably no good God. Now stop worrying, go and enjoy your lives. Implies an understanding of God being a rule keeper. Somebody who is just ticking rules, ticking off a list of things to do. But the God of Genesis chapter 2, who has generously created this man, generously placed him into paradise, a garden where everything is good and everything is delightful, gives him just one command. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. A limit of rules, just one. And there is a certainty of disobedience here, a certainty that comes with disobedience, a certainty of death. If the man disobeys, then he becomes a slave to death. He will surely die. Or he can obey the command and leave that tree. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden except for one. There's plenty of other places for him to get food from. And every tree is pleasant to the sight and good for food. He can delight in the garden. He can delight with God. He can enjoy his life in the garden. He can enjoy a presence with his creator or he can die because of the temptation to go to that one tree and eat of it. Next week we'll see that this command extends out to Eve. She knows the command, or at least knows of the command. And the effects of them turning away from the command, of disobeying the command, filter down to us as we live under the fallout of what happens in Genesis chapter 3.
most of you have probably heard of uh, Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of Queen, the, the rock band Queen, who were huge in the late 1970s and early 1980s. Freddie Mercury was probably one of the most famous men on the planet at, at the time of their, the height of their success. In 1978, he sang a song that, that reflects back into that atheist campaign. Don't stop me now, I'm having a good time. Don't stop me now, I'm having a good time. After singing that, five years later in 1983, he was interviewed. And in that interview, he said, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man. This man, who was probably one of the most famous people on earth, who on the surface had everything he could want, was lonely. And then in 1991, he tragically died. We can have everything we need because of God. Everything we need is available to us in our relationship with God. We owe God our very existence. He is the creator. And in a relationship with him, with the creator, with the ruler, we can flourish in our lives. We can flourish in our hearts. But even, even for those of us who do follow God, who have that relationship with him, there are times when we can still be lonely in that relationship because we don't give what we need to give to God, where we don't offer up all of ourselves into that relationship. So I want to ask you this morning, those of you who are in a relationship with God, who follow Jesus, where is it that you're lonely in that relationship with God today? Last week, we spoke a bit about putting our trust in God, didn't we? And I, I spoke a bit about um, starting a new job and you know, still finding it maybe a bit difficult to kind of understand how that's going to play out and to put, put my trust fully in God there. There are days as well when I find it hard to open the Bible, to read from God's words, to talk to him and to have that relationship with him. Days when I find it easier just to be on my own and to be myself and go my own way. Maybe there are words that you need to say to somebody today. Maybe you need to ask for their forgiveness. Maybe there are actions you need to take to help somebody see God, to see Jesus, and you're fearful of doing it. Maybe this morning you need to ask God to help you to trust him and to give that part of your relationship with him to him and ask him to help you through. And if you don't believe in, in God this morning, if you don't follow Jesus, if you haven't accepted him as your Lord and Savior, don't be like those who wrote that atheist campaign. Don't think that God is a God of 
rules and no fun, you can stop worrying and turn, your, turn yourself away from him. Because what's on offer is a relationship with this generous God who created this amazing place for this, this man to live. And he breathed the life into the man. And he can breathe that same life into you. Dead in our sin, but alive in Jesus. Alive through the Holy Spirit. There's still a few verses that we haven't looked at. and We just very quickly run through verses 18 to 24. We don't have time. There's a whole sermon in and of itself here on the biblical basis for marriage. But just very quickly, flick back with me to uh, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28. Where God blesses the man and the woman. And God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the context in which the man that God has created needs a helper to go out, to fill the earth, and to work the garden and tend the garden. Amongst the animals, no suitable helper can be found. So what does God do? He generously creates a helper. For one Adam, he creates one Eve. Man and woman. And then we see what God says about marriage, about their relationship afterwards. And there's this language that as they come into a relationship, it's a tight relationship. It's the language of a blood relationship between you know, blood family members. That's exactly what he's talking about here. It's that tight. And how does it work? They leave. You leave father and mother and then hold fast to wife. He leaves and then there's this language of cleaving. It's a language of covenant. It's the same kind of language that is used by God of holding fast to his people later on again in the New Testament. So we see very, very briefly that this is what God intends and this is how it's set up. One Eve, again, generously created by this generous God as Adam's helper. And we leave them at the end of Genesis chapter 2 in that generous place. God's people in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying being God's people in the place that God has made for them. In all innocent delight. And as we saw last week, where the Spirit of God hovers over the water, we're supposed to feel something is going to happen. Something is going to happen. And next week, as we come to Genesis chapter 3, we'll see something indeed does happen. Our God is a generous God. We owe him well, he, he is responsible for our very existence. 
in relationship with him, our lives can flourish. And he gives this man just one rule, and it's foolish to rebel. Because he can either delight and enjoy being with God, learn with God by staying with him, or fall to death and slavery by disobeying. Our God is a generous God. It's right to give him thanks and praise. And so as we go, that's the attitude we should go with, ready to thank him for everything that he has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a generous God. We thank you for seeing in this, in this picture of Eden, you creating Adam and breathing life into him, that, you, that he owed you his existence, just as we owe you, our creator, our very existence. We thank you for the pictures in the New Testament of you breathing life into your followers, your disciples, through the Holy Spirit, Lord. And we thank you as those of us who do follow you. We thank you for that new life that you give us. We thank you for the generosity of giving Jesus. We thank you for the generosity of him going to the cross. We thank you for the generosity of his nail-pierced hands, of him bearing our sin. And Father, we thank you we thank you just for all of those things. And we thank you. We thank you that even though there are times when we make our relationship with you lonely, that we can come before you and ask for forgiveness and you draw us back into you. And Lord, just as we prepare to, to leave, Lord, let us this week cling to you cleave to you in the same way, hold fast to you as the same way as that picture of marriage, Lord, in, in Genesis 2. Lord, let us, let us hold fast to you in relationship as a, as a husband does with his wife, Lord.